from the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It is the Craig Needles Podcast. It is the Friday Roundtable here at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca. You, of course, can find us on your very favorite podcast app as well. And we are here for the Friday Roundtable, which means that we are joined in studio by Deputy Mayor Sean Lewis, Political Insider Scott Collier, and City Councilor Susan Stevenson. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here today. Hello. 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 Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you as well. Uh, let's start with a story that was in the news yesterday. I'm going to just ask Susan about it. There has been a uh, code of, uh, of a council code of conduct complaint in regards to your dealings with the homelessness file, with safe space, and a variety of other things. I have to ask you, have you seen the complaint, and do you have any response to it that you're able to share? I did receive the complaint late yesterday afternoon, and uh, I've been asked not to comment on it. Okay, so that there will be no comment. So that is uh, the situation. If you want to read the story, it's all up at londonnewstoday.ca right now. Uh, speaking of that uh, situation, non-complaint version, but uh, what actually happened at City Council version. Uh, we are moving forward with the hubs plan, which means that there are going to be three to five hubs set up. Uh, we've got costs associated with that of about $2 million for setup and a little more than that to uh, to run the hubs each year. So we've heard from Susan and from Sean on this. We will hear from them. But Scott, I want to hear from you. You're uh, with the Downtown Business Association. You live very close to the core. You spend a lot of time down here. What are your thoughts on what we've heard from city council and about the hubs plan as currently stands i think first we need to be uh doing something so <clears throat> i'm actually glad that we're we're finally looking to put our arms around uh, this problem um, i think for the people who actually know me they know that you know i'm kind of a numbers guy and the thing that scares me is that we have a plan but we don't actually have it supported yet with defendable numbers. I mean, we've had you know stuff that's actually been leaked to uh, the media and circulated, but I haven't actually seen a pro forma financial. Which, you know, that always concerns me when you're asked to buy into a concept without fully understanding what the attendant costs are. So that would be a, a basic observation. Um, I am impressed actually in terms of how we've been able to assemble a whole bunch of people that generally don't work well together mm -hmm. um, and get them, uh, you know, in the same space and, and place and actually agreeing to at least look in a common direction. We'll, we'll see if we actually get to row that way, but we're, we're at least, you know, uh, looking down the swim lane. Um, I guess really just not a Thames pool. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sorry, that's triggering. Um, I guess where I'm a little bit concerned now um, is this notion of whole community um, and, you know, wearing my downtown London business hat or my London public library hat or my London transit hat. Um, I see costs in those three organizations that, you know, either a membership from a downtown London perspective are actually independently bearing. Um, you know, I think people would be surprised to know that our security costs at the library are actually twice the amount of money that we set aside for uh, improving our children's collections. Um, we've got, you know, LTC attendant costs. So, you know, I'm waiting to see once we actually, you know, decide on what the what the, the, the care and the governance model is actually going to be and, and, and what the hub is, how do we address the rest of the whole of community? Because I think right now we've seen that, you know, the, the support agencies that are working in this space have been made whole. 
what are we doing for the rest of the community? So I'll be very anxious uh, to see that, and, and we'll be leading and participating in those conversations. And, and Sean, I know well, that's something that you've talked about and the mayor's talked about as well. Yeah, and, and to those points, Scott, I think it's actually really important, and I'm glad you brought up the library. I'm a former library board member. I know security costs were increasing when I was on the board last term as well. And we are going to need, um, whether it's LTC, whether it's the library board, uh, whether it's downtown London, we are actually going to need those agencies that you are a member uh, of to help with providing us metrics so that we can measure our success. I do want to know, um, is the library board, uh, you know, are you going to be able to reduce security because you're having fewer instances, particularly in the central branch, but I know it's not exclusively there. I know in my own ward on the East London branch has some instances where security has to be involved. Um, when you're talking about downtown London, you know, are we having fewer um, negative business interactions, whether that is a brick thrown through a plate glass window, whether that is a, an employee being harassed on the job. Uh, we're, we will need you to tell us statistically, once these are up and running, is this putting a dent in things? You know, we have some stats already. Um, we know London Police Services right now, the average mental health engagement call that they do with a person who's identified as homeless is taking 5.4 hours per call. We know that last year there were, uh, from the uh, identified homeless population, 6,000 emergency room touch points uh, at our two hospitals. Those are huge numbers, right? So even if in six months, if we can see that um, the ER uh, numbers have dropped, even if it's just, you know, 5,700 and, and the library interactions have dropped by two a week, it, are we trending in the right direction on those? So that is part of where the rest of the community is going to be a really critical uh, indicator for us on how successful this is and whether we need to pivot, whether we should continue down this path. Because I, I will say myself, I don't want to move on to a phase two. I don't want to see hubs six, seven, eight going out for uh, RFPs until I know that hubs one through five yeah. are producing some fundamentally uh, evidence-backed results. Some of those, some of that evidence will be qualitative as well. I fully admit, like you know, some of the feedback from the business owners may not be exact numbers, but it may just be my staff feels safer leaving work at night. Um, I think as, you can actually look at that anecdotal stuff as directional and, and use that. Yeah, I, I think that's good. I mean, for me, I think what I'd be most comfortable doing, though, uh, just because we've not embarked on this before, is. Truly, and I, I know this word actually gets tossed around City Hall a lot, um, pilot it. And by pilot, I mean, put it together, make it, you know, stand up a proof of concept. And let's actually make sure that it works before we throw, you know, what is a large sum of money? I mean, we're talking about a quarter of a billion dollars worth of capital, which, you know, is half of a BRT that we're missing. And that's a conversation for another day. Um, and then another $90 million in operating expense, you know, uh, to fully flesh this out, including the supportive housing that comes. That is another big piece that I'm worried about where we don't have right now the ability to ramp up our affordable housing as quickly as we stand up our hubs. But so you said it right at the start, um, right? Is that the community, uh, all the community, the one thing that I think everybody in this city is united on is we have to tackle this problem. The the people are finally wrapping their arms around the fact that this has to be tackled. I don't know that we agree on the problem, but yes. But this isn't like BRT. 
right? Because one of the options with BRT was status quo, do nothing, build none of it. We're not going to have a rapid transit system. No one London. feels that way about No this. one no. says you, sh- yeah. can't, you shouldn't do anything with homeless. The situation's fine. But I don't hear clear indication of what is wrong with the status quo. I haven't seen that identified and then linked to well, what this new plan was. Well, I, th- I think what's wrong quo. with the status quo is obvious. Like the, the increased number on the high acuity list. But I asked the businesses why. Why being is broken it increasing? Into. At what rate do we expect it to continue? Are the issues controllable? Like there's no projections I, to say where we're going to be, what the impact will be so that we can compare it. Well, I, I, don't think think you can, I don't think you can accurately project. That's, that's We can't right. accurately predict the weather and we do. We predict interest rates. <laughs> well, that's we true. That's the one job you can factors. have that I mean, you don't have to be accurate projection, right? Yes, of course, you're not going to, you know, guarantee it. But let's just be willing to take the risk to say, this is what we think. This is what we believe. You know, do we believe that the numbers are going to go down without help? Do we think they're going to go up? Do we think they're going to go up even if we do something? Because they spent nine months figuring this out, implementing a plan and still telling us well, to I don't, expect the numbers to get worse over the But summer. I don't think any rational person says the numbers are going to go down if we do nothing. No, I don't no, think there's any that, rational but, argument but, that but says that. But they put forward a plan this summer and said, expect the numbers to get worse or expect things to get worse. And my thought is, why not have, like, explain that to the public, right? Explain it to me, why, and and then tell I, me how it's going to get better going forward. I think that there's a, a couple, and this is anecdotal, but there's a couple things that would make me say that, hey, things are going to get worse and, and, and have and, w- and will this summer. One, uh, people who are in mental health crisis and who are also living on the street, uh, their mental health is not going to get better during that time. Their mental health is going to get worse during that time. The longer that they are without that service, without that care. Same thing for someone battling addiction. So I think that's where you might say, hey, this is going to get worse. And to me, the problem is, and we should all, I think everyone in the city should be able to agree that this is a problem or at least the worst result of the problem is there are people who are dying because they don't have a place to live. But why are we agreeing that there's nothing that we can do in the short term? When COVID happened, well, we set up field hospitals. Why aren't well, we setting up field hospitals? Why hubs, aren't we getting outreach out there that would actually address the issues? The sandwich the isn't the do issue. some of this, though? We're talking about infrastructure and bureaucracy and a lot of it. Why not have mobile units full of people that are going out? Well, I'll tell you why we're not setting up field hospitals. Because the evidence is really clear. Critical mass gatherings of people in crisis who are experiencing homelessness turns into a disaster. And you've seen that in every city where they've sanctioned tent cities. We saw it here in in COVID during during the first months of the pandemic when we allowed a tent city to be set up at the Western Fairgrounds in Queen's Park. And within six weeks, we had to go in with police and have the camp dismantled because there were too many problems arising. Before. Now, when the, camp, when the encampment was small, when there were six, eight people there, there weren't an issue. When it got to 30, 40, 50, 60, at one point, almost 100 people staying there, you have drug it became dealers constant. Sexual yep. assaults, we all have, these yep. things. Yes. And we have that yep. now. Yeah. It's happening right now. So that means that we need to have fewer encampments. And I, I understand that people don't like to talk about getting rid of encampments as, as job one here, but I think it essentially has to be, or the result of this has to be fewer encampments because people have a place to live that's not a tent. So that's what yeah. we should be going for here. And I agree, and I think the public yeah. agrees with that. When I asked at council the other night, 8,000 to 10,000 square feet is the proposed hub. I said, how much of it is housing? 
they can't tell me. I don't know why. If if each room is 10 by 10 and there's 35 in there, that's 3,500. Why do we need eight to 10,000? I don't think there's a public appetite for a lot of infrastructure and bureaucracy. Well, I, I don't think there is and ac- infrastructure and bureaucracy, Susan, and I think it's inaccurate to say that. Well, then they need because to answer the, my questions. The hub, well, I think the questions have been answered. When you talked about when, was, when they were asked the at answer, council the, the other night, council no, that was, was not the answer. Know. The answer was common space was going to be needed. There was going to be counseling space needed for private service delivery. That this was not going to be all bureaucratic space. That there were going that there was storage space going to be needed. If if the only thing we get out of the hub system is 150 people who are on the streets today with their shopping carts piled full of the last of their belongings, if those 150 people and those 150 or possibly 300 shopping carts, because many of them are, are using multiple shopping carts. Um, if all that we get out of this is 150 people are no longer visible on the street because they have a place to sleep at night and a place to store their shopping carts, even that is a win for the city. Um, Now, I I think we need to do better than that for sure, but at the bare minimum lowest bar, if that is all we achieve from this, that is still better than the status quo that's out there today. I grew up in the 70s and 80s and you don't get a yes vote from me just because you worked hard for eight months. The numbers need to make sense. We pay $1.9 million a year is what we give to the Salvation Army for 107 shelter beds a year. $1.9 million for 107 shelter beds. They get three meals a day, they have laundry, they have access to counseling from the King's University students, there's a nurse there, there's all kinds of programs, but we're gonna spend $2.7 million per hub for 25 to 35 people. Yep, and so how many people have who have been at the Salvation the Army public. say it doesn't work? And I know Mel Sheehan, who's been on that, this podcast and who has stayed at the Salvation Army, will tell you that was a terrible experience for her. And one of the reasons is the staff ratio to people living there uh, is not adequate. But, so so why not fix that? I'd love to see the, those we problems also get fixed. The services that we're prepared to fund. So like, I mean, yep. the, the challenge that we actually have here now is, I mean, we are all talking about the hub, but we also have a homelessness support system that's, still in place so yeah 9.8 million dollars that you know we're going to be out of pocket in terms of homelessness supports through the traditional channels that we've actually got yeah another five million dollars in winter response which really we're going to need to start planning now Soon. because yeah. that's coming at us as well so you've got 15 million dollars in the existing system that we can agree that works in various various efficiencies and then we've got sort of the secondary pathway but the challenge that you know I'm sort of struggling with here is the fact that you know we have 650 or a thousand, depending you know whose report that you read in terms of high acuity individuals that are homeless and or underhoused. How do you get these people into the hub? Well, like you know you're not going to like round them up and throw them in the back of a. I think a lot of them are going to truck. seek it out. I don't think you have to advertise it. I think that people are going to say, oh, this is open now. I want to go. And and to the point of the work that the Salvation Army or the Men's Mission or or other service providers are doing right now, I think we heard it really loud and clear from Chuck Lazenby from the Unity Project when they were presenting their uh, presentation to us at Council the other night, that these people that were trying to funnel into the hub system, these are some of these are the people that the the shelter system won't even accept, right? right? Because they're not... The, the staffing ratio doesn't allow them to deal with these folks. They don't have but the expertise and they don't have the skill. there's still another thousand people on the street that aren't high acuity that need care. That wasn't addressed in this plan. No, what it's, about, it's in not. In our strap a, plan, it says that there's uh, safety issues at our current shelters. We've got hundreds of people there. I didn't hear anything about that in the plan. 
and the Salvation Army, yes. I, why, why aren't we giving more money to address some of the issues? It's $1,500 a month because of the Salvation Army. Under the proposed hubs, it's 6000 to 9000 a month per person. Per person. So maybe that's justifiable, but I'd like to hear the justification. Well, a big part of it is staffing ratio. I think that that's very clear. Four to six uh, times? Turn. Four to six times? I, I, Susan, I'm sorry. I think it's very clear that it's in this part of it. A big part of it is in the staffing ratio. The ratio to of clients to staff is going to be a much smaller ratio than you're getting at the Salvation Army or the Men's Mission. And I want to hear about adding funding to the Salvation Army and the Men's Mission to deal with the safety. But this there, plan is, is also plan. nobody has said this plan is going to solve homelessness. Nobody has said this is going to get all thousand or sixteen hundred or whatever number you want to pull. Then from, we shouldn't call it whole community list. plan. We should call it the high acuity plan. And here's here's. But this is just stage one of it. Yes, and this is not alone. We we don't have a defined measure of success. What does winning look like? We don't know what I don't think we agree, actually. I think there's two sides of that. And then, you know, the other thing, again, because we actually don't have a reference financial plan that we could actually all agree on, you know, it, it... seems a little bit odd in terms of, you know, I, I said to somebody else, you know, we've we put the cart so far before the horse, the cart's in a different county. And I really yeah. think that that's where we're at here right now, where we need to actually see the financials get caught up with the ideation of the hubs to make sure that that holds water. Because, you know, right now, I have some serious concerns. You know, when you talk about, you know, the per resident or per bed costs that you actually have got, Understanding there is going to be a different yeah, service sure. delivery model and yeah. that, that those people are, are much so here's more my higher question need to you, than somebody actually living yeah. at for the sure, Sally Ann. Sure. I, I here's my more question money. for Let you, me though. Let be really clear. I want to fund a lot more money towards this cost. So how are we to have really clear financials until we do an RFP and get EOIs back from lead agencies that say, this is what our hub would look like. This is where it is. This is how many staff we're going to need. Because they're not all going to be identical, right? Like the priority populations are different. What, and and I'm throwing out names here. Like I'm not saying any of these are bidders, right? But um, like, let's say YOU is the lead agency who bids on the the RFP for the youth hub and gets it. And let's say Atlosa does the indigenous hub and gets it. How YOU supports youth is not going to look the same as how Atlas Losa is going to support the indigenous population. So until we actually get some RFPs back, I think it's really hard to get deeper down into specific numbers. You've got the high level numbers, but not Except we not have details. The numbers. We have, we've actually got what was, you know, dropped in a brown envelope, you know, onto well, we someone's did, we desk. We did get right? the $2.7 million yeah, dollar budget for the hub, and I yeah. think that's enough. But what I want is the justification for it and what are the impacts, right? Because if we're going to start setting up these hubs and hiring people at a higher rate, what's the impact going to be on Salvation Army right. and the men's mission? I don't know what, if any, but are we are we modeling that out? Do we know what the risk are. And I think are your we, questions about the workforce development are very legitimate. Yeah. Are are we just taking from Peter to pay Paul? Well, and yeah. we keep hearing there's staffing issues. So, by the way, just for Scott, that was my one like biblical reference for the podcast. <laughs> so we, we hear there are staffing issues. So, and I know they say we can't address you know what the colleges do and how quickly they put people out. But how are we addressing this with that? And when I look at the projection of 12 to 15 hubs at the end, if you do the math on that, it does not work unless you're expecting an exponential increase in homelessness. 
And it, are we expecting that? I just want to know because otherwise to have 12 to 15 hubs where we're expecting that to be emergency shelter beds or are we re- expecting to replace the current shelter beds? Well, I think we should be expecting there to be more homelessness. If you look at our housing situation. No, but exponentially more because if you do the math on 12 to 15 hubs, if you're expecting people to do six week stays, which is what the shelter mm. guidelines say and the emergency care establishment zoning requirement, you're talking about 4,500 a year, 4,500 mm. people a year. Right. So well, Kevin Dickinson to me, his hope is that we don't need twelve to fifteen hubs. That's my hope too. I don't. I, I don't. I think it's insane to even talk about twelve I, to fifteen. I, I think that would be the extreme end of what this project would look like. I well, and I, I said earlier, I want to see metrics on the first five before I approve six, seven, eight. But I don't want to see metrics before we build the first. I, three I don't know how you can get them. You can't get metrics You're not until have you any have a KOIs. hub. KOIs. All we're going to say is if there's the, you know, what? How are we going to measure success? I just think that this is. Yeah, and how are we going to measure success? I think that is 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 definitely reasonable. And and what are what sort of numerical attachments can we put to success? I think is fair. Yeah. I think that's a, yeah. that's a reasonable question. But are no one anywhere is going to come up with a plan that we know is going to work before we start doing? Oh, for it. sure, well, for sure, it's, it's impossible. But it, can, but it needs of, to work uh, on paper, Craig. Right, Just yeah. you know, my husband keeps saying Wiley Coyote. Even his plans work on paper. Yeah, you know what I mean. And even if it doesn't happen in the real world, <laughs> <laughs> we, but but we know reality is going to be different. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's the thing about you know budgeting and planning. I mean, I've, you know, got a lot of private sector um, experience where you know you have a budget that is cast in you know july or august and by the time you actually get to year end you've actually already missed your jump off point for what your current your budget is so you're already in a hole and you're working to actually close that gap from a year-end expectancy perspective before you even started so you know i don't think anyone's actually wanting to have a a budget document held up like a stone no, tablet no, and, and, and you know not. No. And it's not going to change around what happens right, right. but there's valuable but, valuable information in actuals to budget to learn as we you know right. evolve because this yeah. is going to be an it has to be refined sure. refined as we go absolutely sure. but i i think when we talk about you know 2.5 uh million a year in operating costs that's a high level number um, it's not refined. You're going to have to justify the, six to nine thousand a month per person the, the, to the public. The two million in capital expenses for renovations to get sites to what we need, um, which uh, is going to come. You know, that's why uh, it's wonderful that we've got that twenty-five million dollar donation because it's that is going to fund the capital rentals on the first five, and it will there will still be money in the bank. And I don't think the um, public has an appetite for a lot of capital but, rentals. Like, let's make it work. We have five thousand people on the affordable housing list, and we're going to tell them we're going to spend six to nine thousand a month housing the high acuity like that we can't do it cheaper and put some money in another direction you can put some there i just don't know like for 25 and and look 25 million for just about everyone is a lot of money but when you start trying to put together housing for 25 million dollars you get one building it drives up real quick it drives up real quick but i talked to small developers last year and they said they went out because they get frustrated with london went out um and built housing for migrant workers that were living in deplorable conditions and they use storage containers it's not fancy but it was clean dry secure at about six thousand dollars a unit i think we need outside the box thinking we're not gonna address the emergency the way we've done it in the past I mean, I think the other thing, you know, I look at this is, again, you know, realizing these are human beings. But I'm, I'm going to, to actually now sort of stand back and actually look at this from a supply chain uh, management perspective. And, you know, we have got, you know, our hubs and we'll, let's say we get five built and let's say just 
for we'll split the difference between 25 and 35 residents we'll say 30 that's 150 people yeah right I'm also on the board of directors for residential affordable housing we're building in Soho I'm on the board of directors for YOU so I've got a little bit of experience in the housing space thank you for and your service I thank you <laughs> I know how long it actually takes in terms of lead times to get you know these places up and running I mean how long is that lane on York Street where Jones place has been built being been closed already uh, two years right it's been a year yeah uh, and as a transit commissioner, because we have to can't, can't <laughs> make that impacts? right turn, I'm actually li- living that every time I go to a transit meeting. So <laughs> well, I'm very much reminded. Uh, well, we got to talk to those people at YOU about getting things together. But no, no, what, your, your point's well taken, yeah. Scott, that it yeah. takes a lot of time. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. But so you've got 150 people that are in bed now that, you know, we're reliant on this emergency care establishment definition, which says on an average of six weeks. I mean, quite honestly, what we're describing is a crash bed. You know, that's what the zoning is that we're reliant on. But we, you know, have in terms of the critical path, the issue is we don't have housing, the supportive model for these people to graduate to. So they're going to be stuck in the hub. And that yeah. was the number one issue at every service, uh, social service agency that I've visited since I got elected. That's the, When I say, how can the city help you? They're like, we need housing. We need right. housing to move yeah. people out of the shelters and into. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you took Soho and I mean, I think there's 645 units between the six. Yeah. 382 of which are affordable yeah. at various, like there's, there's supportive through Indwell, there's uh, rent gear to income, right. and then there's the 80% AMR ones. And then there's the market rent yeah. above yeah. that, yeah. which subsidizes. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. even if we need you, deeply affordable. I, I would say even if you that. took those 685 units and or 645, I think is what the, the number is for the, the six proponents that are there. That actually fills your housing hole in terms of getting you know the 650 or so high acuity individuals graduated through the hub, stabilized, and then moved into housing. Assuming that yeah. all of them are uh, a system, we know that that's not the case. But we also know just experientially how long it's actually taken us to get where we're at i mean the, the first uh, permits are actually only being pulled now for the parking garage for the stuff that's on the uh west side of colburn you know our property we're on the east side between hill and simcoe uh, on colburn you know we're still a couple of months away from actually you know getting shovels well and you've got the all the, the the planning and architectural design and everything that goes in before that and i mean we just approved the, the agreement with the Vision Soho Alliance yeah. um, on, on the funding piece right. that we're contributing and that the federal. So, I mean, all that, that Vision Soho um, redevelopment, we were talking about that before COVID. Right. So, so it's taken that why, long this, to get the first is permits issued. one of the reasons, issued. too, is how is this solving the emergency before us, right? right. There's, there's lots of things I that think we this, can do right now. We've pro- got money. The one thing we have is money right now. The and pro to this plan is you can do it quick. Yeah. That's the that's the pro to this plan. And, and the reality speaking, is but how, the reality well, I, though I is that the highest acuity people are they have nowhere like even even if we say it's only 150. You I I do not dispute Scott that there's no place for those 150 to graduate into right now. Right. But when we talk about the other population that's out there, the medium and the lower acuity, you know, like I'm not writing them off and there's a reason we've got a roadmap to 3000 and there's a reason that in parallel to this hub system uh, we're continuing to access federal accelerator uh, housing accelerator dollars so that we can build more housing there's a reason we're continuing to ask for affordable units even if it's just four here and eight there in in private sector developments there's a reason that London Middlesex community housing is adding 97 net new units of rent geared income in their the reimagined Southdale project and 
we've got another planning application that'll be coming forward shortly at the um, former St. Robert's School site that the city purchased as a surplus school land, um, which we are working with partners on, which, I mean, the, the planning application hasn't even come through yet, but I, I'm hoping that London Housing looks at taking one of those buildings. I'm hoping that Habitat for Humanity might help with a couple of the single-family sure, units that they're This focuses on homelessness, though, right? Yeah. And right now, I mean, they didn't answer my question at council as to what the average stay is at the shelter, but when I've asked, they've said it's supposed to be, it used to be six weeks, 42 days. It's closer to a year. So now we're talking about building five more that they say is not housing. It's akin to an emergency shelter bed. I said, how long do you anticipate people to stay in there? No answer. It looks like it's going to be a year like the others. Hopefully not as we build all the other housing. But is there something better that we could do to house more people in this emergency? The folks that go in there, if they stay high acuity, when they go into those hubs, if they stay as high acuity individuals, absolutely we don't have other spaces for them to graduate into. But what about the ones that get in there and get stabilized enough that, um, particularly if uh, through the services we're offering there, we get them connected to uh, ODSP or but OW. But the focus is high if acuity, so there to, won't be any others going in. If we have 600 high finish, acuity. If we get 600 who are, if we get 100 in there on the high acuity list right now, while they're in there, we get them to because some of them aren't we because i saw this at the fanshawe uh winter response golf course situation too uh where we got a woman connected to cpp that she didn't even know she was entitled to but she was entitled to cpp benefits uh but if we get them connected to cpp or odsp or ow um in some cases maybe even wsib um benefits if they were you know some of these folks are out there because they experienced a workplace injury Mm -hmm. then they got prescriptions they got addicted to the prescriptions their lives fell apart and they ended up on the street it's a sadly common tale but if we can get some of those people people while they're in the hubs to stop being classified in the high acuity and and become medium acuity they're still because they've been stabilized because they've had a roof over their head because we've connected them to other supports because we've started getting them into some mental health counseling or some addiction treatment counseling and then maybe they even maybe in some cases not all granted completely granted but maybe some of them even drop into that lower acuity model Mm -hmm. where they're able to reconnect with family supports for housing, where they're able to move into some, uh, granted the wait list is long, but where they're able to move into some of the affordable units that are slowly coming online, um, then we do have ways to move them on. And one of the things that we know very well, uh, we've heard it from all the social agencies, we hear it from our own staff, the lower acuity people, and I'm not saying that this is ideal. It's not, it sucks. I fully admit it sucks, but the lower acuity people are able through their own resources and and their own um, connections to find ways uh, to cope, at least for short periods of time. Now, it it typically doesn't last for them, right? right? They they couch surf yeah. or, or they basement dwell with a, a friend or a relative for a few months, and then that kind of falls apart because of their behavior and they're back out on the street. But those lower acuity folks are much more able to cope with the situation themselves. They have more resources and, and more uh, networking ability at their hands than the highest acuity people. That doesn't mean we should not be working to get them housing. I absolutely agree with you on that point, Susan. But and, and what can we do? But when that not? housing. We had, peop- we had a family living in a trailer in a neighbor's uh, park uh, driveway yeah. as they figured it out, tucked back behind, flush with the homes, and a bylaw complaint meant they were out 
at McMahon Park, gratefully through a media article, they've been found property outside the city. But we're ticketing people who are sleeping in cars. I've got moms of addicts on our street that are willing to buy a little trailer and stick it somewhere, but it was ticketed with, uh, it will be towed after one day at Watson Park. So, like, what... How can, there's many, but many our other parks aren't the place for trailers either. I, I agree, right? But like, why are the families not letting other things? So. But here's here's a serious question: Why are the families not allowing the trailers to be parked in their own driveways? Because these folks have issues that the families themselves can't deal with, and not I understand always. Not that. in the case of that. Not one always. Family. No. Sometimes it's yeah. economic, uh, and, and sometimes there are. So on things like zoning and, and uh, bylaws around that kind of thing, I absolutely agree with you that there's more work we can do in that area. Yeah. There is. Yeah. Well, I, for I think sure. the challenge is we pick and choose which bylaws we want to enforce, right? I mean, you know, just on the other side of the row of buildings here, there is an encampment that I'm surprised, actually, because I took Hamish, uh, the Wonder Dog, uh, down for a walk uh, a couple of weeks ago for the first time since the leaves came out of the trees. And you should have been letting him chill in his kiddie pool, well, not making him walk through this hot weather. We're, we're heading to the pool. Yeah. Um, but, you know, an encampment is actually, uh, it's it's a very delimiting term. Like, I mean, it's like there's, it's a village down there yeah. uh, in Ann Street Park where, I mean, there are actually four separate pods of encampment. Like, I mean, it's, it's you know, their own community. You know, we turn a blind eye to that. And I understand why it is that, you know, we're doing that. But it, it's just odd how we've got, you know, one set of rules for one population, another set of rules for another population, yeah. only because we actually can't get our act together as a municipality and get our arms around the problems that we've got. And I mean, that's a sad place for, I think, anybody to... Uh, yeah, but the problems are so pilot huge. projects because it's not one solution. This isn't like we're, we're presenting this like this is the pathway forward and it's going to solve the problem. We need 10 different pilot projects. But at the end of the day, everyone in this room recording this podcast and every person out there in the community period, and it doesn't matter whether they're employees of City Hall, whether they work at the Salvation Army, whether they're in the private sector building a 35 story apartment building, at the end of the day, everybody only has so much bandwidth in, in their 24 hours. And so there's only so many problems we can tackle at any one given time. We do run into legitimate challenges of, of manpower or person power. I should be properly gender neutral on that. Um, but but that doesn't uh, fly in the people are dying stage. You know what I mean? Like there's people dying. It's and the people who are dying are the highest say- acuity population. But, Which know, is where the hubs are, are targeted to address. We, we, we bring in the people um, are dying argument, and it's rather specious, you know, because, you know, I understand, you know, there, there was a referral being sought on the floor so that actually community comms and community participation and engagement would actually get caught up to where we are with respect to the decision making. And, of course, then the people are dying argument comes out and, you know, saw that, of course, is that on, on Twitter. Well, yeah, but it's, they are. Well, they but they then, are, but, but we've you, also but had you, <laughs> we've also had nine months. I also think, <laughs> right. yeah, exactly, we, and that was okay. And, and I also think we really have to be honest about um, and how we're describing this problem when we talk about the folks who are dying. I think we have to be really frank and honest and have a hard community conversation about the fact that the reason for these deaths is not in the moment primarily exposure to the elements it is addiction and substance abuse it is people putting poison in their bodies now have has being homeless led to addiction issues in some cases to cope to get away from yes absolutely the two two are linked i am not arguing that for a moment but 
until, and, and this is why I'm glad Councillor Stevenson and I co-signed a letter with the mayor uh, to, to add in the advocating for the rehab center, yeah. because until we get some rehabilitation on addictions, we will continue to go around in a vicious circle on this. We do not have anything and, for women currently, and the one for youth is a couple hours away. And I will say, and, and Susan knows this, and, and I, I told the mayor I was going to uh, share this today, um, council got a note uh, right after our council meeting, uh, and I... I said, I'm going to share this because I was in the room for the conversation. Yeah, the mayor has do. already spoken to the premier and the premier's response was, let's get her done. Great. Right. You want to be first in line? I'll work with you on that mayor. Yay. So there was a very positive, quick reception. The province wants to build these. So the fact that a municipality has stuck up its hand already and said, um, you can build one right here. We would like one, please. Yes. Um, yeah. Was very, very well received by the premier. Okay. And so some, some, more information is going to be pulled together um, that will be sent off to the premier's office and those discussions will continue and of course we're going to have the premier and members of cabinet here in a few weeks for amo yeah. um, so there'll be a great opportunity thanks to, to have the mayor that. for that um well and and i mean credit to all of us right we mm -hmm. everybody put in some legwork on that yeah. and uh I, I think it was a the right move i mean the premier opened the door he was in the media the week before saying I'm going to go full steam ahead with building new rehabilitation centers in the province of Ontario, and they're going to be affordable and accessible. Great. Put one in London, please. Yeah. Um, and, and that got us to the front of the line. The timing actually was perfect. We, we were able to move that, link it to this plan, because we do need a place. And some of these folks are not going to graduate into housing. Some of them need to graduate into rehab. Yeah. Some of them need to be in a, more of a formal institutionalized setting for rehabilitation for their drug addictions. And until uh, those spaces are available, I, I think we're gonna have a vicious circle. Um, so I, it is, there's multiple prongs yeah. to this and challenge, right? And there are withdrawal right? management and recovery programs that we could fund more right now. Uh, I will say this, and I know this was kind of a, a, a hot topic as well in the media and elsewhere. Uh, I know that there is some concern in the community over the fact that there maybe drug usage that occurs at some of these hubs. I think that there are people within the homeless community that would say, I don't want there to be drug usage at these hubs. I think we should maybe have a hub where there's where where there's no drug usage, no alcohol, no things. Uh, a, high, a high barrier hub. A yep. high barrier hub. Yeah. I think yeah. that that should be, and it's not going to be in our first batch here, but maybe it's in the I second think batch. It should be hub six or seven. Yeah, I right. agree with you. Yeah. I, I because, absolutely agree. And we should that's not a need. Yeah. And yep. that's not. And I know that some people will hear that statement and say, "Well, you're being mean to people who have addictions." And it, uh, no. I think that there are people who do not have addictions issue or people who are in recovery from an addictions issue that will say, I don't want there to be drugs in the place where I go to sleep at night because that will make me feel unsafe. Plus and who, who among us can challenge yeah. that? Well, that's entirely fact, reasonable. I also yeah. think that, yeah. that that actually makes this much more sellable to the public, yeah. right? I mean, you know, the, the challenge that I've had with this is, you know, I'm not involved in this space. I mean, I, you know, went to the original three summits and, uh, you know, as chair of the Downtown Business Association, I've been, you know, invited here and there in terms of meetings. But, you know, I don't work in the social services space, but there is, you know, a codification of, of euphemisms that's actually employed, like, you know, low barrier versus high barrier or yeah. meeting people where they are at or, you know, um, harm reduction, which, you know, sound, you know, to people that are sort of tertially kind of just paying attention, yeah, yeah, whatever, don't sound like anything, but they actually have defined meaning. Mm -hmm. And I don't some people think, find shocking. So. And I yeah, and I don't really think that the the public is actually caught up to that. So I mean that unfortunately is a little you know, a little bit 
disappointing, I think, in in this process in terms of the public-facing comms that we've had, which, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of really good communication in terms of hurting the the service providers, you know, realizing that yep. they don't necessarily work all that well together because they're all chasing after the same dollars, and that's a little bit competitive. Well, just actually, as an yeah. example, when was the last time you saw London Police and you know, pick one of the social services agencies sitting in the same room and trying to sort of accomplish yeah. the same goal. It's, it's, a, it's a rare thing to say. Yeah. It was a great thing to see. Yes. It was a good yeah. idea. Well, for the first time ever, having the London Health Sciences Center and St. Joseph's Hospital leadership in the room. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is a healthcare issue. Absolutely. They should have been in the room 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. Um, credit to, especially to Jackie Scheifler-Taylor, who's who's been really great um, at, at being not only present with her organization, um, but also just in, in terms of making herself available. Uh, I, I know that uh, there have been a number of meetings uh, uh, that I've had the opportunity to be a part of with her, with different organizations. She's made herself very available. People have invested a lot of time. Yes. Um, and, and, and she has said, you know, one of the things that, that makes this work for them is that um, 6,000 emergency room visits, that's a lot of resources being consumed. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. The mental I, I health said... emergency room that was on uh, the mayoral platform, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I well, and that's yeah. that's that. part of the conversation yeah. that Jackie's been a part of, and it's great that LHSC is open to... I heard her, so I was at the... Uh, the LHSC donors dinner. She asked me to come because the mayor was out of town. So I went and represented council at their donors dinner. And she talked about that. She talked about the vision of LHSC has land. Uh, we have expertise. If we could have an independent mental health emergency room on our campus where police were bringing or ambulances yeah. were bringing people in mental health crisis to the mental health ER yeah. instead of You're the regular have full ER. Public support for that. that would be so much better. And then the people who are having a heart attack are not in the same space as, or the or the ten year old who's broken their leg at a soccer game are not in the same space as somebody who's having an episode because of substance abuse or or use or somebody who is just so far um, down the mental health rabbit hole that they're having an episode that they can't control themselves in and so absolutely yes that has to be part of it and i'm delighted to hear lhsc Mm -hmm. is is working with us on this um when jackie said that back in in may honestly it was like i wanted to jump up and like give her a standing ovation because i know that they've been having those discussions i that has to happen too so there's there's like a dozen, half a dozen different rails going here at the same time. It could be that the biggest problem with this plan is the communication and the lack thereof. You know what I mean? The fact that we didn't get details and they were leaking to the press and the fact that yep. they did uh, open houses only talking about hub locations when there were other things that they could have shared with the public. And, you know, maybe that's a path and, forward. And you hey, really have some heart-to-heart conversations. And I, I agree this. with you. There were definitely – and I, I did Twitter threads about this. There were definitely some concerns about communication there. I, I think – that that has been realized internally at City Hall, and maybe we're going to be back on the rails there, but we'll see. Well, the but, videos that yeah, came out yeah. were pretty bad. I, I, like really bad. I, I agree. Bad. I absolutely, we are 100% in agreement that the communications piece has been sorely lacking on this. Yeah. Um, and it needs to get a whole lot better. Um, and I am hopeful. And I appreciated the amendment about the continuous yeah. engagement and feedback. I think it's really important. Everybody cares about this issue. Well, and especially as we start to see some uh, RFPs come back with some lead agencies saying, this is the hub I want to lead. 
and this is where I want to locate it. Right. Um, then we need to have a lot more neighborhood feedback and engagement with those neighborhoods where the locations start to be identified. I think that that, that was critical to get that in there because it cannot be a one-off. It has to be an ongoing process. And that will even include refining how hub operations roll out. If we're hearing from the neighborhood, um, you know, very early on, well, you know, the staff aren't making sure that uh, there's not disruptive uh, activity going on at two o'clock in the morning and my kids are trying to sleep and we hear them down the street. Um, Not that they're going to be in residential neighborhoods, but even when you talk about arterial roads uh, or primary collectors, People neighborhoods still are not that far away, right? Well, like, I, mean, yeah. I think 602 Queens is a really good example, yeah. right? Queens yeah. and, and Adelaide. Yeah. It's, you know... Major it, collector right. and I an arterial it, road. It, exactly. But it's actually would be zoned yeah. for an emergency care salvage. It would be right, really so. great if between now and when the RFP proposals come in and we look at them that we really have chance to really dig into the details and get solid on this plan so that then it's just about location and who and what. The other piece and I know that uh, Susan I know you've raised it I know Councillor Van Meerbergen has raised it and it's not a concern that that can be ignored either. Um, The other piece of this needs to be how we proceed and how conversations happen with other municipalities as well as the province about people being moved around yeah. from community to community and being, you know, yes. oh, we're going to dump you in London. They got more help for you there. And and I'm not saying it's municipal, municipal staff that are doing that, but there are organizations yeah. who interact with these folks who are. And, and that's uh, been dismissed in some corners as a conspiracy theory, but it is. It's, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll give you yeah. a, an example. Uh, yeah. I think everybody knows Sonny James, you know, the shopping yeah. cart guy. And, yeah. He um, used to be a regular caller when I did the show at the other place. <laughs> yes, there yes, we go. Yes. <laughs> we did not put him on the air. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, wearing my downtown business hat, I, you know, gave Sonny a business card and I've now actually become qu- quite good friends with Sonny and, you know, we'll take him clean socks and underwear every now and then and, and say hey and just kind of do a, a wellness check and you know he's remarkably mobile for a guy who has got no belongings so right now i, I think he's uh, actually out in argyle um by the lcbo at uh, clark um but you know he was in mount bridges he was in strathroy hmm. and you know Sonny's not pushing a shopping cart. Sonny can barely walk. He's not pushing a shopping cart actually uh moving himself out there he's being moved around yeah you know Benevolent people in pickup trucks. And and I honestly, I would not mind us being a regional center, right? London is a leader. We already have a regional health center. I wouldn't even mind being a regional center for mental health and addiction as long as we're on a a recovery-focused path. Well, and I I think even that, though, isn't it better or wouldn't it be better if the province was to say to, you know, I'm going to say Exeter, right? Let's let's say Exeter. If, If they said we're going to help... Uh, the municipal council, the county council in this case, but we're going to help you guys establish a space with um, eight shelter beds. Just eight. Because if you have somebody who's experiencing homelessness in your community, you can help them where their friends and family are nearby, where they don't have to get shipped 40 minutes down the road to London to get basic services. Now, if they're a more complex case, like you said, a regional yeah. mental health, if they have to come here for mental health treatment, that's different than yes. I need a place to sleep until I can figure my shit out. Um, you're welcome, Cheryl Miller. I swore <laughs> in that I made sure to get a profanity in, Cheryl. Um, so uh, I think there are, I don't mind being a regional center either. 
But I think we also have to recognize that there are ways to help people sometimes in their home, smaller communities as well. And that dropping them off where they in London, where they know no one, where they have no natural support networks, that's not humane. That's not compassionate. And that does happen. Yeah. And people can deny it all they want. It happens. Yeah. And they're coming I've heard for from people and then staying as well. I've heard from people on the street myself, personally, yep. firsthand. So have I. Had, yep. an in, had an interaction with two different people in the last year who have said to me, um, I'm from Windsor. Right. I'm from Toronto. But again, doesn't how staff did you get have that? Here? Do they not? Well, somebody a, dropped me off with here. With hyphus, are they not? I think they know how many are coming in from. A, so from a city. I, I think in more recent uh, times, we have been tracking that more. I don't think it was being tracked as, as, accurately, in the past. I think it is starting to be. Uh, more accurately and and we heard Mr. Dickens say the other night when they have that first interaction now they are trying to find diversion uh, how did Which you get great. here somebody yeah. brought me here right. um, why because there was more services here well there's not do you want us to get you back home now sometimes they will say no yeah because back home is not whether not whether there's a, a dangerous relationship in their past that they're they're at risk of uh, abuse from whether there's yeah I mean some youth come from abusive home situations yeah. whatever those situations may be they go no I'd rather be on the street here than back at home so some of them will refuse but there are efforts being made uh, on diversion because we do encounter them and we try and say to them if it's better for you to go back because we you were moved here under false pretense there aren't services here for you. I'm, and that, that is the worst part of the problem. When people are moved here either against their will or under false pretense, yeah. in, the, in the understanding that they're going to get help when we don't have sufficient resources right now to help the people who are already on the list. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that, that has to be addressed. I'm not sure how exactly we address it, but again, we're gonna have municipal councillors here from all over the province in about three weeks. And I think that that's a conversation that's worth having. Yeah, and I think it should be part of the communication plan too. The Londoners are interested. They wanna know, they yeah. want the details and the information. I also think this just really speaks to the importance of metrics and having every possible measure available to us rather than kind of saying, well, this is impossible to collect. Well, no, 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 you know, actually it is possible to collect and you know, we have to figure out a way that, you know, we're able to do it and, and record it and, you know, respect people's privacy and, and, and all that. But we need those metrics because quite honestly, you know, I don't have a high confidence level that we actually know the size of this problem yeah. and whether or not, you know, it's, it's growing in terms of natural growth, whether it's <coughs> growing in terms of, exported into our market growth from other neighborhood communities yeah. and or the you know the one thing that we also seem to forget is that you know almost every single homeless person has a you know a smartphone like even sonny james yep. has got his smartphone and, and might not have minutes available on it but, but has you one. know has one and and you know is poaching wi-fi and is you know able to you know find out all sorts of stuff and reach out and and you know you know use the internet just like you know we do um and you know some of these people actually for the price of a bus ticket can move themselves so the other thing i think that's really important you know when we talk at amo is that you know we push the province to a uh a uniform standard of care uh, and duty of care to this population so that there isn't 
this notion of a pull strategy where you know people are actually going to migrate to yeah. where the service London is does that this and Hamilton does article. something different and Windsor does something different again and, right. and that's completely different than what a smaller community like a Sarnia or a Chatham would yeah. do uh, yeah and, I agree like, you know uh, the challenge of all of this is is that it's all working the speed of government I mean I, I said you know in an interview that I did uh, wearing my downtown London hat that you know there, for this problem there are like three tracks of speed. Like if you're a social service agency, you want it solved yesterday. And speaking for, you know, my, you know, my business community, you know, we want it solved today because quite frankly, you know, by the time we potentially get around to solving it, there may not be any businesses left. You know, I mean, it's, there's, that's sounds rather extreme in terms of, of saying that, but I mean, you know, we, you know, keep, hearing of more and more businesses that are wanting to move out of the core mm. and go out to the suburbs because they see the core as being central to yeah. um, this issue. So you've got the speed of business. And then lastly, and with respect to both of you, there's the speed of government. I mean, I realize that you guys are the politicians, but you know, there are 4,500 you know, very hardworking civil servants that are supporting this, but they're working at the speed of government, which is unfortunate, you know, when we actually look at this entire problem, because, you know, RFP, you know, we've got severe construction labor issue where we've got, you know, revenue projects that are actually being um, delayed because we actually don't have the workforce that's available here. Or the workforce so, in the office at their desks. Well, there's the no, we'll talk we about a that conversation in, a in, yeah. in a second. Um, but I mean, we've got, you know, in terms of like work boots and hard hats, we've, we've got, you know, a labor shortage there yep. where private sector projects actually aren't being built. So we're going to get RFPs come back in September. The agencies are it's going to get awarded, going to be October. And then oh, they actually have to now find a property that they're either going to buy or lease. Um, and then they're then going to have to make renovation to that property and then still try to actually hit a year-end deadline. My understanding is they're looking at that alongside coming together and that the developers have a commitment to this Yeah, as well. and, and that's the great thing about having uh, the Home Builders Association and London Development Institute. Mr. Wallace yeah. is at the table on that, trying to... prelim priority yeah. status, hopefully. Yes, so I, I think there is some of that. And not that I disagree with anything you said, Scott, but I would say this in response. Um, for government, I would say that the speed we are moving at has been light speed compared to what we've seen in the past, really. Um, I mean, All it is... All the more reason why the details are important. It, it's super, super fast compared to most municipal government projects. Um, hell, it took three years for me to get a tow truck bylaw um, <laughs> license implemented in this city which is working out really great because yep. some people are starting to have their tow trucks impound and their licenses suspended. <laughs> yeah. when they well, maybe vehicles. they shouldn't be going 150 kilometers an hour on Commissioner's Road. You think? <laughs> um, uh, but that took three years for a simple little bylaw right. like that. So to pull of all of this, uh, as much as there's still more details people want to see, to pull together to where we are today, I think we've moved incredibly fast. But here's the other thing, and I've said this over and over. I know it's been repeated probably to the point where people are sick of hearing it. The municipal government cannot solve this by themselves. Agreed. The, the, we cannot solve this if, uh, and I'm just going to pull a couple of examples. If the province of Ontario doesn't address the need for, and, and we hear positive news that they are addressing the need for rehab centers, if they're not addressing the um, abysmal, like the embarrassing shelter allowance of ODSP and OW, which any listener of this podcast I'm sure has heard a bajillion times over. You've said it, I've said um, it, like, and, and, and at the other place, I've yep. been saying this yeah. for years. Yep. If there's a unanimous so, thing, yep. it's that. Um, yep. Mental health beds, 
um, in, in not just rehab, but mental health beds as well to address that problem, if the province does not address those things, if the federal government, through its uh, housing accelerator fund, does not get money out the door so that shovels can get in the ground, labor force issues recognize that that's a barrier too, but if we aren't getting shovels in the ground on building new housing, and the federal government has a key role to play there, that's critical. If they're not addressing some of the regulatory concerns that we've had with REITs driving up rental prices in this country, in every jurisdiction in this country, because the feds haven't regulated these properly, properly. And if the feds aren't doing something about the number, and and not that I don't want international students studying here, but when we are just letting the enrollment numbers skyrocket with no housing for yeah, them. Yeah. But that's that's the monkey in charge of the, the peanuts, right? I mean, the economic incentive yeah. is there for the, the PSE to actually game yeah. the system because that regular tuition amount isn't regulated. Yeah, they can but charge I, what yeah. the people yeah. will bear to pay. I would say, though, th- it comes back to, I think the municipality is doing everything it can within its jurisdiction and within its fiscal capacity. But if the province and the feds don't do their part, if they don't help us, it doesn't matter how much energy we put into this, it will still not work. Yes, but we are responsible for the sales pitch. We are responsible for mm-hmm. a business case that can be scrutinized, that can be talked about, not in an aggressive way, but to just really make sure that we're doing this right. And we have to be committed to outcomes because I'm still puzzled how um, some of the reaching home money, 500000 of it, is sitting in a to-be-built fund when that could be helping people. Well, and I agree. And London let that happen. That was a municipal. I agree with you on how we sell it. Like I, And I think that it's very important when... Uh, we're talking to the premier about the rehab center when we're, when we're asking for money to help support operating costs on these hubs. Um, it's really clear that here's specifically what we need your money for. This is a healthcare matter. This is what we want you to fund. This is what we're asking the federal government to fund. This is what we are funding. And please and, tell council too. And really break that down that the, the yes, well, and I, that's why I said <laughs> I'm glad that we got yeah. the briefing note this week, um, not just about the rehab, uh, but the mayor made it clear to all of us, um, our ask to the province, we're still refining it, but it's going to be between 5 to $8 million for operating uh, in the first set of hubs, um, that we are going to use capital money from the donation that we received to do the f- renovations on the first five hubs. Um, that So there was some, very again, not all the details yet, but we actually got a, a briefing note that outlined in, in high level, here's where we're working to refine our asks so that when we meet with the province, this is what we're going to ask them for. Um, and I think you're right. That's part of the sales pitch, having that, you know, and, and, and keeping council in the loop and and being as transparent as we can knowing that the rfp process has to be in an educated way i've said i'm an educated woman i want the details and we have an educated public that wants the details too they really want the answers i think that that's uh, a good spot to leave this particular conversation we did mention and look we've been at this for 56 minutes <laughs> uh, we've never we've never had a, a single topic of 56 minutes on the show before i do want to hit record at least, uh, yeah this is an all-time record i do want to hit at least one the more ding, thing. ding 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 with the bell uh, oh. Go nice, go. Uh, let's talk about the downtown worker story that you mentioned a second ago, Sean. And uh, I know there are some people that are uh, not necessarily thrilled about the way this uh, this particular situation shook down. Uh, but uh, workers at City Hall who were on uh, uh, two days in the office, three days out, or was it three days in? Well, days? no, there was a mix. Some yeah. of them were a three, two, two, three. Yeah. Some were in five days and then out for five days. Right. So there was a mix of that, and that had led to, in the opinion of the home builders, and I know that Jared Zafin was there talking about this, in the opinion of uh, some of the other stakeholders when it came to getting building permits done, that had led to a backlog of work at London City Hall that was an issue. 
So uh, council has voted by a very slim margin to uh, make some changes to that coming up in March, if that's correct. Now, there are some parts of that argument that I found very compelling. When they say, hey, there's a backlog of, of issues when it comes to getting buildings done. Okay, I'm, I, I, I share that concern. The concerns from the downtown business is about, hey, they're not coming in here to buy lunch enough. I truly don't care about that. I, I, I truly, and I understand that Scott probably Scott, does. you take that uh, message back to Barb for, for, from Craig. Uh, but like, but so there are things that I that I thought were relevant here, and there are things that I thought were less relevant or bordering on zero relevancy. Uh, but let's talk about the why you thought both Sean and Susan voted on the same side on this. Why you thought it was the right thing to make some adjustments to this coming up into in the spring right so by the end of q1 of like the transition has to be completed by the end of q1 of 2024 yeah so um you know in talking uh with our staff like they will phase this transition it's not we're not not just going to flip the light one day and 157 people are back in the office um some will come start coming back after the christmas break um in some cases because during the pandemic when everybody went to remote work um stuff that was old and needed to be written off and disposed of was so in some cases we've got to procure new desks and new chairs and and things like that because based on the vacancy rate there should be a lot of furniture and, available on the used market yeah. and we probably are going to um have to lease some space temporarily because we also have some work going on in city hall uh where we're doing some asbestos abatement and things like that so we're going to have to accommodate them in in terms of space and equipment and we need some time and in fairness to give them time to shift their family lives around too to coming back into the office more regularly but i i think i'm very happy with where we landed i think a four days in one day as flex for remote work whatever that looks like and i leave that up to the deputy city manager mathers to work with his team to figure out what works for his staff as long as they're all not flex flex day on the same day um that would be bad but However that works out for the staff, I'm fine with that. I did exactly that kind of um, schedule when I worked for Irene Mathis as as a member of parliament. We had Wednesdays were our flex day Um, and we could be in the office or we could be out of the office working remotely, whatever happened to work for us in the work we had to get done that day. But we were closed to the public, so we weren't getting bombarded by new intake. We were doing out. We were doing output, right? We were closing files. We were getting back to people, giving them their updates without taking in the new files until the next day. So we were getting things off of our desk before more new stuff landed on our desk, and it worked really well. So I don't have an objection to a day of remote work. I I think that that's absolutely reasonable. But if you're there four days a week, and this is the piece that really matters to me, we've got a very um, young. Um, experience-wise, building division in particular, Um, where a lot of folks haven't even been on the job um, for more than two years. If you're that new to your role and you can't walk down the hall and say to your manager, what should I, should I send this back as incomplete or is this something that we're allowed to like initial and sign off on? When you can't do that, what happens is you default to this is incomplete, send it back, and then it drops off the clock. It no longer counts to the statutory processing time, and it holds things up. I had a file that came to me this week in my ward that has been off the clock since August of 2022. Oh, no. With lots of documented uh, evidence from the applicant on requests for meetings, phone calls not being returned, those sorts of things. Um, this is 180 jobs that aren't here yet because the building permits haven't been issued. Yeah. That's a problem. And some of this really could have been solved by walking down the hall and saying to 
the manager, is this something that we can sign off on? Or do we need to send this back for more information? So when we're experiencing those kind of situations, uh, you know, the, the ability to train and I'm going to channel my uh, inner counselor Cassidy for a moment. I really love this line. She used this in the last council and it stuck with me because it's so true. You cannot have a workplace culture if you do not have a workplace. So I think we need folks as, as much as is reasonable in the workplace. For me, it was a solid yes, but I have a lot of compassion for the employees who really found work from home to be a benefit or even a need for them particularly. I have compassion for the manager who gets to deal with the impacts of change and and frustration in the staffing. But if we are truly committed to meeting our housing target and we hear the people as to how desperately we need more housing supply in the city, our building partners made a very clear ask. They said they understood the ramifications and they said they were asking for it anyway because it was a need. I heard around uh, accessibility and being able to be able to go and talk to someone and we don't have anyone else to build our houses. So if they're making that direct ask, my answer is yes. And then as I said to city staff, make your ask. What can we do for the staff or the managers? What is their ask? that we can say yes to as well. A hundred percent. They made a great argument, Susan. Yeah, and I think the other you know, right. thing that we need to remember here is that capital supportable, you know, so these builders actually have an opportunity to, you know, to go to Elderton or go to Waterloo, or, you know, wherever, Absolutely. wherever it's actually easier for them to build. I mean, you know, if you yep. look at Elderton today, I think Sifton's actually built half of it, right? There's, you know, development charge gradients that come into play there, um, but it's also just an ease of doing business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, 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 one thing, I mean... Are I'll, you suggesting we annex Ilderton? <laughs> no, I'm, 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 let's, let's start with our That sounds first, like another right? conversation. <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, at, at the, the risk of, of angering my friend, Mr. Holland, um, you know, the complexity of the kinds of uh, transactions that are actually occurring, you know, in uh, building and planning, I mean, I mean, one, the tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in terms of, of value. This isn't like buying a dog license. And there is, you know, ambiguity and questions to your point about, you know, I need to run down and actually check to, you know, make sure that what I'm thinking is correct or, you know, getting that second opinion. Um, That stuff that happens in a regular work site when you're actually on the job um, is important. It, you know, it, it's it's helpful. I mean, I'm I'm 55. You know, I'm pretty much uncoachable now. But when <laughs> I was when I was a little junior manager, I've heard you've been that way for a while. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a little junior manager of El Canada, I mean, you know, it was of benefit to actually have your team around you. And I mean, how, like we invented telework, right? I mean. You know, we're like fully ahead of the curve on this one. But, you know, as I said, this isn't buying a dog license. This is, these are very complex transactions that, you know, require nuance and judgment. And, you know, particularly if you've got a younger workforce that doesn't have that fully developed scope and sense of judgment. And, you know, that's not a slag. That's just you well, need the only job experience to actually do it. Yeah, right? they don't have the years of, of having that response from the manager to be able to say, oh, right. I know my manager is going to be fine with right. this. I can and just- then, you know, also then, you know, you know, the, the grounds actually change in terms of, you know, like Bill 23 and, you know, how's that actually impact, you know, decision making and everything else where you're continually learning that you actually need that support. So, um, again, at the risk of, of angering Mr. Holland, I mean, I under, understand that there's a workforce management issue there. And I mean, that will be something that Mr. Mathers is going to have to tread carefully. And I'm you know, sure that he'll get support from people services for that. Um, I hope we're able to retain the great workers we yeah. have. 
but you know, I I do see the the imperative uh, need from you know just the fact that we've got whether you're talking the roadmap to three thousand or the forty seven thousand in terms of units that we actually need to build um, that we really need all ores in the water. Well, and I think yes. it was really clear. My, just my last thought on this: sure. the 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 builder side, the customer side, was asking for five days back in person. The staff right now were either three in and two out or two in three out or they were in five out five this is why i, I worked with councillor layman to get a compromise developed that was four to one everybody gave up something yeah that's a good november we pushed to march yeah so. everybody moved towards a common ground and we gave them more runway uh, as susan said we gave them until march instead of november uh so everybody had to give something in this yeah and that's where that's how compromises work yeah right uh, I will note that uh, uh, another person who's been on this podcast, and not just like uh, Scott's friend, Mr. Holland, but uh, uh, Mr. A.J. Ray would note that if you uh, want to have a, a, a peek at the, the salary structure, maybe then you would find uh, some reasons to why perhaps uh, London's having trouble keeping and I re- 100%. I, re- I yeah. retweeted that, and we get to really look at what yeah. the problems are. So, uh, yeah, check out A.J.'s Twitter feed. I think he, there's a good <laughs> chance that he's tweeted about it somewhat recently. Uh, let's wrap up this edition of the Friday Roundtable here. Thank you very much to Sean and to Scott and to Susan for doing this with us. Uh, hour and six minutes hope you enjoyed the whole thing we're going to talk about liberals polling but uh, we're at time Uh, it's not good Uh, (laughs) well until they get serious about the housing issue honestly they're they're going to continue to have their lunch eaten and and the same goes for the ndp Um, housing and the addiction the the housing issue is what is moving voters right now yep federally certainly yeah certainly uh so uh, yeah there you go there's your quick analysis on that uh thanks very much for uh downloading listening to and subscribing to the craig needles podcast which you can find at classicrock981.com and london news today the Craig Needles Podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.